What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Championship Leadership Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Nate Bailey. And um, today, it's, it was an honor to have this guest on today. Incredible man. Out of He lives in Gilbert, Arizona. He's the CEO of Desert Hope, a recovery and addiction hospital or treatment center in Las Vegas, Nevada. And he's a former NFL tight end, played for the Detroit Lions. And uh, I met him back when I went through Seal Ficka Coral. He was one of the coaches there. And so it was just very cool to circle back in life as we always seem to do and to, to tie pieces together and to have Derek Price on to talk about what he's up to, to talk about life, his story, leadership. And uh, it was just fun. It was just awesome. He's a great human being. And uh, it was an incredible conversation. So I'm not going to waste too much of your time here in the intro. And let's get into this episode with the amazing Derek Price. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Championship Leadership Podcast, and I'm excited we got Derek Price with us. He, uh, he he's lives in Gil- Gilbert, Arizona, and commutes Monday through Friday to Las Vegas for his, his uh, I guess we will call full-time uh, position as a CEO of a hospital out there. Um, quick little, little story. Derek Price and I, we crossed paths for the very first time at Sealfit Kokoro. That was over four years ago now. It's time flies. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of awesome when you go through an experience like that, you know, these coaches, <laughs> it's a little bit intimidating, although Derek was, was uh, a very laid back, uh, very fair and reasonable coach, which, which I loved and, and maybe didn't expect coming into that experience as well was coach tree Floyd McLennan, who, who now I've, I've been working with. It's just kind of surreal, I guess. And it's awesome how life seems to, uh, to work sometimes in the relationships and the connections that you create through different experiences. But yeah, so met Derek for the first time about four years ago, and here we are today on a podcast. So I'm uh, excited to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on, bro. Absolutely. Um, so this is the first question I'd like to ask everyone just to kind of kick us off, and then, and then we'll get into you know, what you're up to, what your story is, and, and uh, how you've gotten to where you are. But Championship Leadership is the name of the podcast. What comes to mind for you? What does that mean to you when, when you hear Championship Leadership? Man, that's a great question. 
You know, when I, when I think of leadership, first and foremost, is the, the phrase that kind of comes to me immediately is the guys that don't, don't talk about it, don't tell me what you're going to do, like don't talk about it, but be about it, right? Mm-hmm. So a true leader isn't somebody who's going to come and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you know, and talk, talk, talk. They're the one that's actually doing it. You know what I mean? Like, for example, um, I notice leadership qualities in my staff all the time. I have 300 people that work for me here. And some of the things I like to recognize isn't just the normal job they do, but I may have a, um, like my CFO the other day. Uh, we walked into the cafeteria, place is packed. My kitchen's getting behind. And without saying anything, he silently creeps over and gets behind the salad bar and starts dishing out food to patients. Clearly yeah. not his job. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. probably like 15 levels of job. That <laughs> totally. would never be something he would have to do. Yeah. But he goes and does that silently, handles it, takes care of the rush, comes and sits back down, looks for no fanfare. Yeah. Like that to me is le- leadership. And I yeah, experience it. I'm like, that's the kind of person that I want to be around. That's the kind of person I'll listen to. That's the kind of person I'll follow. Yeah. So I think that championship leadership is, um, you know, not only you're going to, you do what you say and say what you do, but you lead by your actions and not by, you know, the inflections in your voice. You're not yelling at people to get things done. I think real leaders, you know, can, can speak their message, but because they live their message and it's their reality, they're true. Uh, I think that that resonates to people and that's what attracts. Like I could yell at you to like me all day or I could go around and do service projects and you go, that's a good guy. And I want to follow that person. So to get to the championship level, like I like how you put that in front of it. That just means that you're just in the the consistent pursuit of, of leadership. Like it lets me know that you're constantly trying to get better. Like what does a championship fighter do? He fights, he wins, he keeps fighting and training and training and training to stay on top. So I think it's a really cool name you guys came up with, man. So Appreciate that. And yeah, I love the, I love the answer. Uh, so before we get too deep into, like, I know you played in the NFL, you played the highest yeah. level of football. Um, yeah. And I just want to go there real quick with what you, yeah. you were talking about, because, you know, oftentimes I, a lot of my coaches were the yellers and screamers. And then uh, my last college coach was not at all. And he was, he still is, continues to climb the ranks. Very, very good football coach. And, but it was a very different, level of leadership and, and how he went about it. And then you think, you know, oftentimes I think most people would think of the NFL as yellers and screamers, but I know that's not, it's definitely not always the case and might not even be the majority of the case. Maybe talk a little bit about that. What, what, what was the experience at very high level of, of division one football, NFL football, the types of leaders and coaches that you experienced there? You know, um, so a couple of different ways I can go with that. So first and foremost, like when you get to that level, right, you're, you're, you're a professional. They're paying you for this job. This isn't yep. a hobby. It's not for fun. You're not doing it for a letter on your letterman jacket anymore or because your parents made you do it. Right. Um, so the expectations are higher. So first and foremost is you have to be your own greatest leader for yourself. So, for example, yeah. a lot of things that people don't know about, like the NFL, is like in high school, if you played high school football, when you went to practice, they would do conditioning. You do up, downs, burpees, bear crawls you know, run, you know, running across the field, back and forth, ladders, whatever, because they're trying to make sure that you're in shape. Well, at the professional level, they have no time for that. You can play on that team. Maybe if you're not, they have no time. Go away. There's 500,000 people that want your job, you know? Right. So I think that, you know, when you start to get into that division one level, and especially when you get into where actually people are paying you for it, um, the expectations are much higher that you've already committed to like some self-ownership of responsibility, which is building that leadership characteristic. 
And then personally, I know there's a lot of different variety of coaching methods and some coaches are yellers, but I've always respected the ones that had such command and respect of the team of the, of those that they were leading that you're listening to their every word and there's no reason for them to yell. Yeah. You know, a, a really one of my best friends, a guy named Dan Cirillo Taco, who um, I believe, you know, yeah. you know? Um, or tree, you know, another great example, you know, yeah. you know, Floyd, Floyd McKenna, like amazing human being. He doesn't have to yell to get his message across because right. he exudes that leadership. You know, tree is such a great leader. Uh, and he just puts out that vibe. You want to be around it. So, you know, you look at like good NFL quarterbacks, that are leading teams, man, they're not yelling at you. If they have to yell at you, you did something wrong, you know? Right. And how often do you want to do, do you want to follow somebody that's screaming at you and yelling yeah. at you? No, man, I want, I want somebody that like, Hey, I want, I want constructive criticism and I'll take all the criticism in the world. You don't have to yell it to me. I'm a professional. You can say, Hey man, you did this and this and this wrong. This is how you can do it better. If you don't know how to do that, let me show you how to do that. Let's develop this up and let's build it. So, you know, coming up from division one football at university of Iowa, it kind of, you know, I came from the high school and junior college ranks where it's a little bit different, a little bit, a little bit wilder, a little crazier, a little bit more yelling, yep. you know, et cetera. But then the professionalism escalates as you move up the ranks. And by the time, you know, uh, Wayne Fonson is my head coach at for Detroit Lions. And, uh, you know, funny story, man, like he, I heard him yell one time, like we had lost a game we shouldn't have lost. And he got upset and he's, you know, yelling and he just, the one time a year that he lost his pool, right? And he's, you know, no, no discipline. You guys jumping off sides, blah, blah, blah. No discipline, no discipline, whatever. Everybody's going to be on the field, lined up, jerseys, cleats, tucked in, blah, blah, blah. Perfect line in numbered sequence by like 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. And if you're a minute late, you know, you $5,000 <laughs> fine per minute, screaming and yelling. And then like walks out of the locker room. We're like, man, he's real, you know? So of course I'm there like a half hour early, lucky to be there. Like first and foremost, like, yes, I played in the NFL, but I think that I was the guy that was lucky to be there and nobody was looking and they may have forgot about me on the roster. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was not a perennial all-star by any yeah. stretch. Man. Like, so I'm standing there in line, you know, and everybody's there and coach Fonts comes out and he starts, you know, picks up from where he left off the day before, you know, aggressive and kind of like, Hey, this is d discipline and you guys are here and this. And about five minutes later, Lo and behold, Barry Sanders comes walking out from across the field in just flip-flops and shorts. And oh, no way. Moore, Herman Moore, <laughs> who you may remember, like, you know, a big-time wide receiver, yep. says, uh, hey, coach, wh what are you going to do about Barry? You know? And we were <laughs> all like, oh, no. And, he, you know, this is where you learn that there's two different, two different level sets, right? Yeah. Wayne Fonz turns around and goes, oh, yeah, that's Barry Sanders. It's, that was it. Was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <It was> <laughs> there's, there's rules, man. There's like everybody and then like that guy. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Barry didn't get fined. Nothing was said to him, but, you know, um, and I have Barry's the, the best, most humble guy. Like another example of an amazing leader, like Barry Sanders would drive to practice in like his Toyota Corolla. Yeah. Uh, made more money than anybody else on the team and said less words than anybody else. All he did was carry the ball. When he scored touchdowns, go watch his tape. No dancing, no high fives, no celebration. Yep. Turn around, hand the ball to the ref and walk off. And one day I asked him, I said, Barry, man, when are you going to get your touchdown dance put together? And he's like, why would I do that? That's my job. That's my expectation. That's what they pay me for. When I score, it's because that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. You know, like, I don't see that as a celebration. Like, oh, well, 
kind of, I, I kind of like, like shrunk. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just a rookie man. Just give me walk yep. it off. So. <laughs> Never mind. But that was, that was a great example of something that like just set in my mind early is yes, he was probably in my opinion, the greatest of all time and had more latitude to be the guy that was boisterous and saying, I'm the best. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But by example, he did his job. He did his job very well and um, didn't seek fanfare, you know, yeah. and that's ultimately why he walked away from the game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's, that's, that's a great story. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, well, let's get back. So yeah. Tell us the listeners a little bit more about yourself. Obviously we talked about football in, in your career there and, and making it to the NFL, but yeah, give us, give us an idea of who you are, kind of the path that you've been on and uh, how that's led to what, what you are doing and where you're at today. Sure. So uh, one of the things I'm kind of developing right now is what I call the price method. And it's, it's basically how to deal with, uh, how to thrive under pressure, you know, and how to deal with like, different circumstances thrown your way. But, you know, if you look at that from where I am today, it's very easy to say like, oh, well, you know, you're a high paid CEO and you've opened up multiple businesses and, you know, everything's going your way. But, you know, sometimes I have to remind people like, hey, let me step back a little bit, you know. I lost my father when I was seven. I was the oldest kid in the household. My mom was a teacher. There's three other brothers. Had my first paper out by like third grade. I was up at 4 a.m. trying to help put, you know, bread on the table. Um, real no male mentorship, leadership growing up. And, uh, you know, my mom was, was rock solid the best. But for her to keep the kitchen stocked, I mean, on a teacher's salary, she was picking up morning classes, extra classes, substitute teaching. So sports became my babysitter, right? Because we yeah. couldn't afford a babysitter. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd, I'd ride my bike home from school and then I went to baseball practice from like four to six. And then I'd ride from baseball practice to soccer practice and went from like seven to nine. And then I'd get home about the same time my mom did. Um, so it kind of taught me, you know, to start taking my own ownership. And of course, I didn't know I was learning that lesson at that right. time. Yeah. It's more like, oh, this sucks, man. Everybody else would be <laughs> by their parents. I'm pedaling my bike, you know? <laughs> But um, by the time I got into high school, you know, I had never played football until like my, my sophomore, junior year is when I started. You know, I was all baseball. Oh, really? And yeah, man, I was too small. Like my freshman year in high school, where I was 5'3", 110 pounds. What? Yeah. You're was, what? Like 6'4"? I'm like 6'4". Like I walk around about 240 right now. Yeah. Kind of a late bloomer, I guess. But so I get into high school and I decide, you know, my sophomore, junior year, like, hey, I want to I play football. Um, and I'm just having a good time with it. And then as I come into my senior year, I realize, oh, what's next is I want to go to college, right? Of course, all my friends I grew up with, like their parents had set money aside for them. They had programs and plans <laughs> and guidance. And I turned to my mom. She's like, yeah, we don't have any money. Like, <laughs> right. I was like, man. So I figured out if I could earn a scholarship for athletics that they would pay for my school. So I committed that basically my junior year and my senior year to just, I mean, this isn't boasting or bragging. It's just what I needed to do to catch up to that level of athlete was I would go to practice and I'd go home. And then I had a neighbor, you know, a guy named Gary Shire is just an amazing human being. One of those people that just put his arm around me. was like, I'm here to help. No money. I didn't have any money to pay him. And he would bring me back down to the track and we do like additional workouts. And I think I was able to like, you know, catch up a little bit by putting in extra work. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it equated to being like, you know, an all state track runner and in the 400 and stuff like that. But um, I started to learn that, that mantra uh, for myself of, I'm just going to try and outwork everybody 
I can't control a lot of things, but what I can control is my effort and my ability to participate and show up. So I would just always show up. I would just always put in as if you did five pushups, I was going to do six. I wasn't going to tell you I was doing it, but in my mind, I felt like I would always have an edge. Yeah. And that led to a junior college scholarship uh, to a, a Mesa Community College. And I go there and I, I play a year and things go well and have the opportunity to go on to, you know, to a, a university on a full ride. But, um, and this is where like the decision-making process comes in. The coach my freshman year took the job at that university and wanted to take me with him and was like, hey, here's your, here's your four-year degree, you know, full scholarship. And uh, the incoming coach pulled me aside and said, hey, man, I see what you can do. I know that's on the table for you. Let me try and talk you into staying one more year and you'll be able to have bigger, better opportunities. So that was the first time where I went back to my mom, you know, and the goal all the time was to get a four-year degree, right? Yeah. And I go, hey, I just got this, uh, this scholarship offer and blah, 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 but I'm turning it down to go back to junior college for another year. Yeah. So it was like the whole world versus me at that point in time saying like, you're an idiot. You could get hurt. You could blow your <laughs> knee out. This whole train could end be whatever. Right. But I had like an inherent belief that if I put in the work that I could achieve what I wanted to. And lo and behold, I, I did stay. And uh, by like the third or fourth game of the next season, um, we had to stop having the mail sent to our house because we were getting so many recruiting letters. And, you know, yeah. I was fortunate to be in a situation where I got to pick and choose where I wanted to go. And, I chose University of Iowa uh, under Hayden Fry and, you know, went out there and it, it you know, translated, um, you know, however, football was such a, a and I'm hogging the microphone. I apologize for that, but no, football was such a means to an end for me. Like I like football, but I didn't love it. Right. Uh -huh. It was, I want a degree. How yeah. do I reverse engineer that back to where I am to accomplish that? Well, I don't have the money. Okay. Well, football will pay for it. So when I was, getting into my senior year at Iowa, the NFL scouts were coming in, et cetera. And I wasn't running for him. I wasn't testing for him. I wasn't doing anything. I was skipping. Now I skipped all the pro days. You did. Well, <laughs> my goal was to get a degree and then go in and, and get into the business world and, and yeah. figure that out. And so after my senior year, I graduated in December, like midway through the year. And uh, I didn't, I didn't declare myself draft eligible, any of that stuff. Like it was over for me and it, 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 no malice to it, but I had yeah. accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Okay. So I actually go home right after I graduate in December. And, um, you know, again, uh, a gentleman named Chuck Long, who was the runner up to Bo Jackson for the Heisman Trophy, happened to be our quarterback coach and reached out to me at home and said, Hey, listen, I know that you're wanting to, you know, move on. I know football wasn't your end all be all, but I'm telling you right now, like you will regret not giving it a shot. Yeah. Just give it a shot, man. Don't commit to anything, but give it a shot. Come out and run for these guys. Do, you know, do what you need to do, et cetera. And uh, so I took his advice and I did, and I went out there and, you know, um, Detroit picked me up on, you know, immediately. And I was able to play as a rookie and start a few games and et cetera. So. But um, which kind of lends itself to, you know, I think those gentlemen in my life who may have only had like momentary um, involvement, like, like little involvement, propelled me forward. And so part of who I am now, what I do today is you never know the impact you're going to have on somebody, you know, to your point, the championship leadership. And I can point to like to people in my life, male, female, whatever who had a very small time frame in my life 
but who, who reached down and grabbed me and pulled me up to the next level, or at least showed me the path and exposed it to me. And I would say that, you know, if you go back in time and those people don't exist, you know, I'm going to say I would probably still be successful because I have a, a pretty good, I'm pretty confident as a human. Yeah. I don't think I would have experienced the life that I did, you mm -hmm. know, and a lot of my passion points are, you know, how can I, and what can I do? Like, for example, working with some of those, um, you know, civilian courses that you and I've been a part of and some of those different programs. So it was really tough crucible type endeavors. I don't go in that to, to beat people down. Like I have no, no ego to see, like, I want to make you lay on the ground and see how many burpees you can do to you throw up. Like that right. doesn't do it for me, but putting you through something hard and being part of that, knowing that you're going to come out the back end and say like, Oh, what used to be the hardest thing in my life now seems very easy because I've just expanded my personal growth bubble by doing stuff I never thought I could do. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that brings me passion. And that's why I do so many different charity events now. And you know, that, that's why I'm the CEO of this place right here. Like I'm here to save lives. Like we, we do substance abuse and mental health and um, I can, you know, Every day I feel good about what I'm doing because these are people that are on the verge of overdose. They're at the they're rock bottom in their life. Um, they're losing their friends and families. They may have overdosed once or twice and we get to bring them in here and try and save their life. It makes me feel good. Uh, so awesome. And yeah, thank you uh, for sharing all that. I mean, you, you, sure, you hit on just about everything that I, I like to talk about in my, uh, in my podcast I'll, without having to be asked. But um, yeah, I mean, that's why I created the 24 hour event that I did is just not to beat people down, not to make them quit just because I really do want to help them become better leaders, like just through that experience. And so I resonate with so much of what you're talking about, but um, the importance of having somebody come along your life, like the guy that helped you in high school, right. That would, mm -hmm. that would work with you and to, you know, having this opportunity. I, I look back, I went junior college route myself. And if had I, after my first year had somebody, Hey, we got this scholarship. I'm pretty sure I would have been out of there. Um, what school was that by the way? Uh, New Mexico Highlands. Okay. Division yeah. two. I may have been division two. You know, yeah, yeah. I can't remember now, but, um, but anyway, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, I've heard of that school anyways, but, uh, yeah. And then, you know, just how you, was it, was it a tough decision for you? I think a championship, you know, um, right? You have this vision, this courage to take, yeah. to stick to what it is that you really want as a young guy, as a young, as a boy yet. Right. I mean, you're not even really yeah, a man yet. Right? Like to make that decision when you know, that's like why you were there, that that was going to give you the, the, uh, the result that you really came to junior college for. And that's, that's, uh, some courage there to, to have that faith and that belief in yourself. Well, it was definitely an educated decision too. I mean, you know, the faith and the courage for sure. And I won't discount those variables, but, um, you know, like I, I've always, because I had to make such monumental decisions from early on in life, like, Hey, nobody knows where I am. I could go out and sneak out and do drugs. I could mess yeah. around with the girls. I could, you know, nobody's checking my homework. You know, I could take those paths. Um, when I made this decision to, to turn down a scholarship to come back to junior college and risk it for the biscuit and hope I get a better deal. I looked at it, remembered like, well, my end goal here is to get the best education that I can. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it wasn't about really my football opportunity as much as what's the best education I can get. Okay. And so for me, it wasn't that hard of a decision. Like, Hey, this is a school I can go get an education there. 
there's nothing wrong with that school, nothing wrong with that education. Yeah. But in my mind, I had just had a different vision. Yeah. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to like, uh, I needed to satisfy what I wanted to accomplish or be told or had the door shut on me. But until somebody was going to shut the door, like I'm going to keep going forward, you know? Right. So, um, the hardest thing was obviously selling my mom and, you know, some of my friends that were like, man, sure. you're an knucklehead, you know, you, 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 right. achieved, you got your scholarship. And I'm like, yeah, but I think I can go bigger. Yeah. 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 It wasn't because I was so confident in my, I'm such an amazing football player. Like, look, I'm a good football player. I'm not great. Like, I mean, you know, the deal, Nate, like at the NFL level, I'll tell you right now, like 10% of the guys are just, they're just God touched, you know, like yeah. the universe came down and touched them and just said, you're just better athlete than anybody else. Yeah, if right. Work out or run or lift or do anything like you're just that guy. Yeah. The other yeah. 90% of the people in the NFL are, they're there because somebody saw them make a play. Somebody knew somebody like when I, when I went to Detroit, heck there's probably 500 other tight ends on planet earth at that given time that could have filled the exact same role and did everything that I did. I yeah. just got the shot. Right. right that's it. Right. So, you know, that's how I looked at it. Sure. What's uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. I know you, you mentioned the price model, the, the uh, leadership model that you, that you have and the, uh, tell us more about that. What is that all about? Where, where did that come from? Um, how do you utilize that? Yeah, it's funny how it actually came about because it's kind of been um, the way that I've always like we always we all have like a systematic approach, you know, internally wired to us that we've developed by the time like I'm 48 um, in how we make our decisions and how we go about things, our patterns in life. And I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to speak to um, a wellness group at a wellness summit up in Utah a couple months back, and. Um, Again, one of the ladies there, two of them, Liana and, and Emily, both were like, they listened to my story. And they're like, hey, I really like your story. Like, you need to, you know, put this together so that people can understand it. And so I would like to tell you that I came up with this, you know, like, <laughs> this is mine, mine, mine. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, once again, like people entered my life and I listened yeah. to them and they're like, you know, let's put a book together and let's, let's use your name and let's use this. And so I took the PRICE method and it works into how I do it. So, you know, basically for me is, you know, the first thing I do when I'm making a decision, right, is I prioritize and that's the P. And the, the important part I do is, listen, we all make a thousand decisions a day. Mm -hmm. Am I going to go right or am I going to go left? Am I going to speed? Am I going to slow down? Am I going to stop for coffee? Am I going to go to the bathroom now? Like, you know, I'm a, what am I going to eat for lunch? Yeah the way to, am I going to accept this job? Am I going to move across country? You know, like, so I like to start off by just thinking of like, what's the importance? What's the priority in this decision right here? Is this something I should stew on all day? And then secondarily to that is what kind of, is this an internal or an external, you know, decision? Is this something I'm choosing for myself or is this something the world needs an answer from? And when I take those two things, I start to put them together. It starts to frame how much energy or juice I want to put into this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the for people that lay in bed and their head just won't stop going all night, we'll we'll pick what those things are and work them through a system. And sometimes you realize like what you're debating yourself about in a circular fashion isn't as important as you think, or you may yeah. not even have control of the outcome. So right. what's the not about it? But then after I prioritize, so if that's the P. Then I go into the reflection side. And when I reflect, that means that I'm going to take my life's history and everything that I've seen other people do, the outcomes of my decisions in a similar format, 
And I say like, well, what were my outcomes there? You know, and I think that's important because mm-hmm. Nate, I may be successful, but I think it's because I've just failed more than most people. And I think that's yeah. a metric that a lot of leaders don't talk about. Like, like I have a lot of wins on the board. I've hit a lot of home runs, but I've struck out probably more than anybody else. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. But you know, my belief is like, Hey, I need to take pitches all day long to get the most home runs. Yeah. I'm going to miss some, but I'm going to hit some too. But if I don't step to the plate, what's the point? So, so I'd like to take a minute and reflect and, and gather up like all of my, my history and then kind of put a why to it, you know, start to really embody this thing. And then it goes to the Intel, the I is the, is the identify. I identify the actual tangible physical barriers. So if it was taking a new job, I'm looking at what are the dollar, what's taxation, what's the state, what's the requirement, you know, things of that nature. So I'd like to, to gather my Intel. And then once I have that, if you think about it in the decision-making process, I prioritized it. I've determined if it's internal, external, I've reflected on all my past experiences to try and pull this to coalesce it together. And then I went out and I did my due diligence and I gathered as much Intel as I possibly could. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, if it's about like, what am I going to eat for lunch? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but if it's who am I going to vote for or something, I'm going to spend more time. Yeah. Yeah, But then I get into the the C on P-R-I-C-E and that is uh, creating an actionable plan. I think that you can think about things all day long, but you know, cookies are for closers and you have to create an action plan. Right. And then once I create that plan, I execute the plan and that's, that's my C. And then moving into the E is I give myself the latitude of evaluating where I'm going. And I, and I also allow myself the ability to pivot. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if something's not working the way I want to, the more often I can run through this like OODA loop over and over again, I think the closer I get to the highest probability of being successful. So for example, like I have a pilot's license, right? If I wanted to fly a plane from, from Phoenix to New York and I set all my plan up and then cool, I got my angle. I know, I know the azimuths I'm going to shoot. I know the, where I'm going to go. And I just take off and I never look at the controls again because I started off on the right heading, but I never stopped to evaluate where am I? Yeah. Hell, if you're off by a degree from Phoenix to New York, you end up in South Carolina, you know? Right. So, you know, I think that when you're making decisions and you come up with an action plan and you execute, you may be committed to the effort in in accomplishing that decision. But I also think that it's very important and crucial for you to continually evaluate. How's this working out for me? How's it working out for the people around me? Am Am I getting closer or further? And when things start to shift, and you find out like, hey, I'm, I'm starting to drift right or left is giving yourself that latitude to pivot and get back on path and maybe rerun through that whole process again until you just and then just stick it out until you get to where you want to go. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Yeah. Great framework. Um, we're getting on, on our time here and I want to respect our time. So um, what is uh, if, if, if there are one or two other things that you could really share with the listeners that you know, if they were to implement into their life, it would like today, it would help them move their life forward. What would that be? Yeah. So uh, a great question. I would, I would challenge people to use this application, the price method, right? Yeah. And it's not for the sake, listen, I don't have anything to sell. I'm not trying to get anybody to my website. I'm not trying to get anybody to sign up for anything. This is just like, Hey, this is what's worked for me. And there are some random people who think I've done a good job at different things in my life who, who listen to this, but Take a decision that you have right now, write it down on paper 
and then go through that, like prioritize it. How important is this decision really? And where's the pressure that you're feeling? Like, you know, whenever we have a decision, we're stressed, we're under pressure, right? Is this an internal pressure that you're putting on yourself, like weight loss, getting in shape? You know, Nate, I know you're a marathon runner, you've done Ironmans, triathlons, you've done seal feet, you've done a lot of crucibles. Um, is, that's an internal pressure. Nobody's making you do that. Yep. Um, so internal, external, then reflect on, you know, like I know that you're a long distance runner. So you probably, when you start to plan a run, think about all the runs you've had before and start mm -hmm. to pull from the successes. Oh, let's wear these kind of socks. Oh, I want to put this on my feet. Oh, this is the hydration system I want to use. This is the clothing yeah. I want to wear. Gather the intel about the course. So going back to what can somebody do is write down a decision you have in life right now. Like while you're listening to this, just write it down. Yeah. Prioritize it, reflect on your past experiences, go gather the intel and then create a plan and do it. Because I think it's that last step C that is the most important that people miss. Uh, oh, I'd like to do this. Oh, I want to do that. Oh, someday I'll do this. No, no, no. Do it. Yeah. Do it because you won't know the outcome until you start, but then give yourself, you know, so create your plan, execute your plan, but then constantly update yourself. How's it going? And is it going the right way? Is it going the wrong way? Am I getting where I want to be? So my, my big thing is, you know, I started with it and I'll end with it. You know, don't talk about it, be about it. Yeah. So you're going to do something, do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been great. Uh, yeah, man, I feel like we can talk today. all day, man. It's good talking yeah. to you. Uh, easily. Yeah. Um, I know you don't have anything to sell or whatever, but you know, for those that, that are really interested in who you are and what you're about, I, you share a lot of what you, how you yeah. live and, and how you uh, do what you talk about and be about it. Right. So if they want to follow you, uh, I, it seems like Instagram's a place to be. Where, yeah. where can they find you? Yeah. Derek, D E R E K, the letter C price, P R I C E. Um, Derek C price, you know, Perfect. on Instagram. So awesome. Yeah, I'm there and um, I, I don't have the millions of followers. So, you know, I get people messaging me all the time and I actually message back because I'm not that. Yeah, right. like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And uh, yeah. you know, like I said, I am working on a book and it will, it, it will develop into something. This is part of something I'm doing, but yeah, get there. We'll definitely have to get yeah, you back on Instagram. That. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, appreciate you being here, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Nate. I look forward to you guys coming back out and, um, you know, I'd love to be a part of your guys' championship leadership team. Like I hear nothing but amazing oh, successes. And, you know, you know, Tree, I know Tree, some of my favorite people, one of the most grounded, humble leaders I've yeah. ever been around. So, um, you know, kudos to you guys for changing lives, man. Appreciate it. Have a good day, man. You too, Nate. Take care. And no five and no six. I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say. Nature going home. I miss my life, miss my wife. For 15 months she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't alright. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm called to be a leader I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it, then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done
Baby.